Broadcasting from Orchard Park, New York, and Boca Raton, Florida, it's the Freight 360 Podcast. From freight broker sales tips to sports talk, this podcast is all about helping you grow as a freight broker. We're your hosts, Nate Cross and Benjamin Kowalski. Let's talk freight. And freight, we will talk today. Welcome back for episode 149 of the Freight 360 Podcast. Today's episode, we're going to be breaking down AB5. I I think I originally talked about this back in uh, 2019, and we may have dabbled about about it here and there throughout the last few years, but uh, it's big right now, especially, you know, it's really it's big in California. So we're going to talk about it. We're going to break it down. We're going to talk about who it affects, you know, kind of the background on it and, and what we expect moving forward. Um, but hey, if you're brand new here, thanks for joining us and make sure to check out all the other content that we've got and episodes in our in our searchable library on our website or wherever you're listening to podcasts. Leave that review and keep sharing us with your friends and keep sending your questions. And we got a couple good ones for the end of today. So Ben, how are you doing today, man? Doing well. It's miserably hot outside, but I am in air conditioning and doing better. Yeah. So I'm actually, I'm in Tennessee this week visiting, uh, the company that I work for, Pierce Worldwide. It's always good to get down here. It's my first time here in July, and it is hot. Like it's, we're pushing almost 100 degrees today, and I, so I was like wondering what the real feel was. So I looked at uh, the app, like what is it, like uh, AccuWeather or something, right? That tells you the real feel and all that. And it said the real feel was like 107, and then in parentheses it said quite hot. <laughs> that was a very nice way to let me know. Yeah, I know it's, I know it's quite hot, but just the way that they uh, they described it, it was pretty funny. So, yeah, good stuff. Good stuff. Um, little sports recap here. We're in the all-star break for baseball. Did you catch any of that last night at all? No, did not. Caught some of the recap on sports radio this morning talking about it. but Well, the the American League pulled off a 3-2 t- to two victory. I think, yeah, National League was up 2 to nothing, and then it just was a, it was a pretty quiet game. And then in one inning, I think three runs scored over t- through, yeah, three runs from a Pretty much a two, couple of home runs that were hit by the American League, and that was it for the scoring. It was kind of a all-star games. I'm kind of up in the air about because you have the best offenses, like you know your best batters against your best defenses, aka your pitchers and fielding mm-hmm. positions. And it's like really hard to it's really hard to like get Score one runs. of those squeeze in plays yeah. that where you can get a you know barely get the base hit or you know get the home run or you know whatever. But uh, you know, always fun to watch sports in general. Hey, speaking of um, my book club, we just read a book last month called Eight Men Out. It's about the story of the 1919 Black Sox. If you're looking for a good summer read, it is an outstanding book. And it's really good to listen to because they take you through the games. And it was like you literally kind of felt like you're watching some of the baseball games. It was really pretty cool. It was one of the more nice. enjoyable books I've read this year. Are you more of an audiobook guy or a read it on paper? I like reading on paper, but with a baby, I've almost exclusively now just do audiobooks. So, like when I take Ava to the park or we're in the pool, I'm pretty much listening to a book most of the time. So, yep, I'm a I'm an audiobook guy myself. So, I just what feel like I can I can sometimes if I'm reading on paper, I'll get I'll just get kind of lost. I'll read a whole page and be like, "What did I just read?" But if I'm listening to it, like it's a bit stories being told to me, mm-hmm. I absorb it a lot more. So, yep. Good did you watch the open Sunday? It's a hell of an um, open. Yeah, I, I did. Well, I watched. I was in the airport on Sunday, and they teed mm. off. Um, so early was it? Yeah, I want to say the 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 main group. Um, 
Is it like ten o'clock Eastern or something like that? Or? Yeah, it was like ten or eleven. Them. Either way, though, it was it was early, right? Normally, they're not going off to the afternoon if yep. they're playing in the states. But dude, was it Cam Smith came back? Dude, it was from like insane. Four, so four point yeah, deficit? it was four strokes back. He tied the lowest um, lowest nine holes in any major last nine holes. So I think it was Gary Player in the sixties and Jack Nicklaus's famous eighty six Masters win. He shot a thirty. He had five birdies and four pars. Like, yeah. it might have been was, six well, birdies. Um, yeah. Rory, was Rory favored going in? Is that what it was? So Rory yeah, was. And on to, Sunday. Yeah, so Rory was leading or close to it. Um, Cameron Young was also in the pack. And I, uh, there was another guy from the U.S. I think that I think was Cameron right Young on. finished second, right? Cameron, yeah, in the, in, the final, in the final few holes, like, he jumped over um, Rory, but what was even cooler was like on the 17th hole when Cam Smith was in there, like he had like a 12 or 13 foot putt for par. And if he would have missed that putt, he would have fallen a stroke back. Rory would have been tied and they were like, it might go into a three-way playoff. And yeah. he makes that 12 footer for par. And then he birdies the next hole. Then Cam Smith, I think eagled 17 and then ended up moving a second. And then Rory fell back and that all happened in like the last hour of play. Like it was an outstanding finish. And they also said Cam Smith, not only did he tie one of the lowest nine hole rounds in major history, but also like they said they're running the numbers. There's an article on golf Digest, and I get a chance to read that, that he might have made more putts than anybody. And not only any major, but almost maybe in any PGA event, just the total foot of what feet of what he's rolled in on Sunday. Like, yeah, like he's the best clutch putter in the game as of right now. I mean, it was just outstanding what this kid did. He's got a clutch mullet too for all you mullet loving. He said he hey, they said they said he committed that he was going to shave his mullet off if he won the open. So, we'll see if he follows through <laughs> I, with it. I, I didn't hear that. That's awesome. That's oh, pretty good cool. Stuff. Good stuff. Well, I got nothing else on sports unless you do. Yeah. All right, let's give a shout out to our friends over at DAT. Taking the guesswork out of freight with DAT. The DAT Load Board Network is the largest on-demand freight marketplace in North America, connecting freight brokers with available capacity on any lane. Grow your business with tools that allow you to find new business partners, and you can quickly qualify and onboard new carriers. And with the industry's leading freight rate data, you can make clear and confident pricing decisions. Check out the show notes for a free month of Power Express or Trucker's Edge. Absolutely. All right, let's talk AB5. So we already knew that California is a special breed of, uh, of state, but uh, it's gone one step further this time. We're going to take you back in history, back to 2019, and talk about what AB5 was and kind of bring you up to what's happened lately. So originally, it wasn't just the trucking industry that was impacted by this, this bill in the California legislation. So AB5 is that's the name of the bill. Um, it's Assembly Bill Number 5, and it was passed by the California State Legislature um, in 2019. It was signed into law by Governor, what is his name, Newsom? Newsom. Gavin, Gavin Newsom. Newsom. In 2019. And basically what it did is it was, it was intended to reclassify a large amount of workers in California as employees instead of their traditional independent contractor or 1099 uh, classification that they had. So really I, what I remember the big talk about in it three years ago was, is it came down to like your ride sharing apps, like your Uber and Lyft and, and things of that nature, where they're saying that they should be classified as employees 
based on their scope of work. And we'll talk about the, the ABC test. There's three things that they have to meet to be a contractor. Um, but it really, it, it, it was for the gig drivers, rideshare drivers. And then it looped in transportation in general with, with uh, owner operator leased on trucking drive, truck drivers. And then, but a whole bunch of others too, like what doctors, et cetera, you got the whole list we can go through in a second. And they started to peel back. They started to make ex- exceptions to all of this, right? So like they're starting to say, all right, well, you know, these certain industries are going to be exempt. And honestly, that was like the last I remember of it until I had to do some research and get caught up because then COVID happened six mm-hmm. months later. And like, obviously everyone's attention shifted. I'll sum that up. I got it right in front of me. So the implementation of AB5, this is from the Freight Waves article we'll throw in the show notes. The implementation of AB5 throughout the California economy in 2020 came with a Swiss cheese lineup of exemptions, both in the original bill and in the AB2257, which sought to address the concerns of sectors that said they had been particularly hard hit by this. Among exempted professions, doctors, dentists, hairstylists. Among those exempted in the second bill, translators who were particularly vocal about the damage to their industry under AB5, youth sports coaches, and insurance inspectors. Critics of AB5 have held that lengthy, seemingly random list of exemptions was evidence that AB5 was largely targeted at two sectors, trucking and gig drivers such as Uber, Lyft, and parcel services. So far, the latter group has not come under AB5, gig drivers, Lyft, and you know Uber, because of voter approval of Prop 22 on election day in 2020, though a later court ruled that Prop 22 was also unconstitutional. That court decision is on appeal and has and a stay has allowed gig drivers protected by Prop 22 to remain outside of AB5 for the time being. So right now they're like temporarily protected by a proposition that was later ruled unconstitutional, but are still being protected by it. So if you want to, if you ask yourself the question, why, like, why do they want to have AB five and the intent and the outcome are two different things. Like the intent is obviously they feel that there is a potential for companies to skirt around having to provide benefits and pay employment tax for certain workers to save themselves money, but still be able to reap the benefits of having access to those workers to operate their business. Like literally think about Uber and Lyft, right? Mm-hmm. They don't, Uber doesn't own a single car or have a single driver employee, mm-hmm. but they're the largest like transportation tra- like, provider in the world. Yeah. It's insane. And they don't own a single car. Yeah. Um, so they're, well, you know, they kind of think, well, they're, you know, they're just, they're basically taking advantage of this. So the whole intent was to protect the worker. Um, but the outcome of it has clearly it, it hit, it hit a lot of different things. Well, also the trucking side, remember in the trucking, there was a lot of these articles back then in 19 that were talking about the ex- people, excuse me, exploiting truck drivers, um, least on drivers where basically they were kind of like indentured servants to some degree where like they literally, like when they ran the numbers they were shown, I remember reading, they're like, there's just no way for these these drivers to ever get out of it. Like you can't ever work your way up to the point where you paid it off. Cause basically they just, there wasn't a path to that way. They were take almost. Me, take me through that though. Like, so, because we'll, we'll, let's take a look at some of the different ways to be a truck driver, right? Mm-hmm. You can go get a job um, for a, a trucking company. They'll put you through school on how to drive. You get your CDL. They put you in a company owned truck and you're employed by them. 
They tell you what time to show up, what time to leave, where you're going to drive all day long, all that stuff, right? That's yep. one end of the spectrum. The completely opposite end of the spectrum is to start your own trucking company, right? You get your own authority. You buy or lease your own truck. Most people are leasing a truck. And you pick the loads that you want to drive and or haul, and you're good to go. The middle is where that kind of gray area is, right? These leased on mm-hmm. owner operators, right? So talk right. me through talk me through the indentured servant, and I I know we I think we hit on this like the last week or two, um, and it's not you're not too wrong, but let's let's break this down as to why that is. So my understanding was that they basically weren't earning enough to ever work their way out of the lease, right? So the lease was structured in a way that what they were earning rate per mile was never going to allow them to save up enough money to actually get out of that to pay it off and to like get to profit. So yeah. basically they were in an agreement where it was like they weren't a company driver, they were technically, you know, a leased on driver, but the reality was is they really had very little choice. They had no protection under it and the company could make them do whatever they wanted and they really didn't have a choice. And what yeah. they were earning on a daily basis was like nowhere near what they could have and they had no control over it either. So it was like so- what, what I'll add into this, though, is not every company has done that, but because certain companies have structured it that way, that's what, that, that is what led to the proposition of this bill. Because for every one of those companies, there's other companies out there that, and I, I worked at one in the past, where you could own your own truck or you, know, you lease your own truck separately from the company, and you would sign on as a leased on owner operator, and they would pay a percentage of your line haul plus fuel or whatever. And you would set, you know, you would pick whatever loads that you wanted to take and yada, yada, yada. All was good. And there's nothing wrong with that. But in this a situation that you're referring to when they're not going to make enough money to ever be able to turn enough profit to go off on their own, you're right. I mean, they they would essentially have to just like quit and go, they're back to square one again. So mm-hmm. I get that. and But I think you're also going to see, you know, no matter what legislation comes out, or whatever the, the rules are, somebody is going to find a way to take advantage of it and make it profitable for them while they're screwing someone else over. And then there's those that will still do right by others and treat their people fairly and with respect. I um, totally agree. But when you, when you create this legislation, there's a lot of unintended consequences that, that happened here. And it's gone so far as to, when you say transportation, right? Like freight agents fell into this transportation grouping of it they're not obviously they're not the target of it but at one point i'm not sure exactly where it is now but when i was at a different company we were like planning to have every single one of our independent agents that was not that did not have an llc they were going to have to get an llc potentially if this legislation happened and they lived in California because and we had a handful of agents out there but if you live if you lived in New York or Michigan or wherever it didn't apply to you right yep. But if we had a handful in California where it's like, oh, man, this AB5 is going to actually impact them. They need to go establish their own LLC and get liability insurance and all this stuff to be able to skirt their way around the legislation. But would they have skirted their way around it? Because wouldn't they technically still run afoul of the B test, which is... Let's go through it. We got Let's talk the ABC test. Do you have it in front of you to read off verbatim? No, I got to find I, it. It's I got it right good. here. All right. So the ABC test, and a lot of states have a test like this. And again, this is to protect workers who are being forced to be 1099 and pay their all their own employment taxes when they're actually 
they should be classified as a W-2 employee. So we'll talk through California's wording, and then I'm going to – I'll read off some points that we've got from uh, the Google machine here that will tell us other states. Um, but So here is – I'm going to read this verbatim for California. The a- AB5 has a new three-point ABC test where a worker is assumed – to be an employee unless they meet each of the following three criteria. So before I read them off, if they fail a single one of these, boom, they have to be an employee. Okay, that's yep. the test. You have to hit, hit all three to be a contractor. So number one, or A, letter A, they are free from the control and direction of the hiring entity when performing their work. Okay, now let's break that down. So they're not told what time to show up to work. They're not told... Um, you know, when they, well, they're, they are told when to take their break by the FMCSA regulations or DOT regulations, but they can pick which loads they want to do. It's not forced yep. dispatch by a certain company. Um, they can park wherever they want to park at night and sleep in their truck, all this good stuff, right? So they're, they're not being forced Control. to do whatever, right? It's they same can, as everything else, right? Same as, weeks off they want. same as like 1099, same as like 1099 versus W2 and everywhere else. The line is yes. drawn to control. If I get to determine what I'm doing all day and I have a control over my life, I can be independent. If you can control it, I'm W2. Yep. Um, B and B is where it is, where it hits that the controversy pops up is the work performed is outside the usual course of the hiring entity's business. Okay. Now, before I break this down, most states will say that the work is performed outside of the location of the hiring entity's business. So basically, if you don't have to show up to their office, you pass this one. But California is just very broad in saying, if you're a truck driver and the work that you perform is the For same as that company. company, which is trucking, you fail this one. It's kind of, what's the phrase I use? Like it's the nail in the coffin or the, the death nail. Death nail. Right. So like question you for you. Though. This one. So for that one, right? Like technically, even if your agent owned a company, right, wouldn't that be the same as an owner op having his own MC and working for a trucking company? So I think where they draw the where they were trying to draw the line there is that they're saying that the brokerage so if you're an agent based company, and I'm not again, I'm I'm yeah. speculating here, but All right. the, the thought process that we'd be able to get around it was, well, the corporate entity they're performing back office tasks and the uh, agency technically is different jobs. Yeah, you're right. Yes. They the are brokerage or the, the agency is performing um, sales and operation. It's kind of like they, we were drawing the line and again, it never got to that, but that was kind of right. the thought process there. Mm-hmm. That makes and sense. now let's go on to see the worker is customarily engaged in an independent established trade occupation or business, which yeah, that, you're fine on that one because these guys are, they own, they have their own, truck and LLC or whatever. And, you know, they're running their own show essentially. So they yep. passed that one. Um, but I, I think that the wording in B is just so vague and that's how it immediately looped in dentists, doctors, hairdressers, translators. The, I didn't, I didn't know about the coach school coaches, but yeah. Cause I always think, you know, most school coaches, like they get like a stipend to do that. They can, they can work at another school and be a teacher and then they're just going to coach for, couple thousand hours a season or whatever um you know and hold practice when they deem necessary and what you know whatever so just i don't know it's wild so i think un- unintended consequences because now you've got like i think it was like 2000 
There's like 2,000 owner ops in California. I'm going to throw out a number real quick. I looked this up real quick. So it says AB5 seeks to classify more workers as employees instead of independent contractors. About 70,000 truckers and 70% of the drayage truckers who work near California seaports are independent owner ops. I didn't think about the drayage part, so it's way higher than I thought. Yeah. Yeah, I think ports of Long Beach and LA, man. That's huge. huge. It's the largest ports in in our country. And yeah, that's where most of this happens, to be honest. Like I work in that side. Like I, I don't do a lot in California now, thankfully. I do primarily in like other ports and rail terminals. But like, like in Chicago, this is very, very common, right? I mean, this is almost the norm in drayage. Because again, just the way it functions, there's a lot of fluidity to it. Like a driver might be in a port, that container can't be found or they can't get it. So they go, hey, what other containers we need moved? They're calling back to a dispatcher, maybe an owner ops there. And they're going, hey, yeah, I'm going to take this other load, send this load over, right? It's done to fix problems that are inherent to the industry. Chassis issues, not being able to get in and out, being able to return empties. These guys have to pivot a lot throughout a planned day because of the restrictions and what equipment's available. So how it really functions is with the flexibility built in where owner ops can grab a load from a broker, can go and grab this one, cannot pick up this one, even though that was planned because you can't get the right chassis. And it happens all day long, every single day. I mean, I think this is going to be a large issue if this is just enforced directly on the ports. I mean- yep. Oh, 100%. So let, let me, I'll read off what happened between 2019 and now that made this become an issue a few weeks ago. So. I mentioned 2019 is when the governor of California signed it into law, but there was a federal injunction put in place to per, to exempt trucking companies from the AB5 legislation. But this just last month, June 30th, the injunction was lifted by the United States Supreme Court. Right, so, so there was a proposed hearing to be done in front of the U.S. Supreme Court, and the U.S. Supreme Court denied to hear that case, which made that injunction lifted effective July 1st. So that being said, if you have freight moving out of California and you you rely on those types of of drivers, you've seen this impacting your business in the last few weeks. I I had an agent I was working with, I think about two weeks ago, and it was all like, it was new to her and even her customer, right? So her customer didn't work in in, um, logistics and supply chain three years ago when this first came up. And no one was thinking about the last three years because a pandemic yeah. hit. We all shifted our our thought processes, but now her as a newer broker agent and her customer as a newer person in supply chain logistics, they're like, what, "What? What? Why is this happening? Why is it so hard to get a truck? And why are rates going nuts right now? Why is it all shifting?" And it's because of all this that has happened yeah. in the last handful of weeks. So, what I think, um, you know, what I think here is the squeaky wheel gets the grease. It's how most things happen in legislation and government. And truck drivers, what is there's like 400 of them blocking highways right now. They're going to get attention and we're going to revisit this issue. And I personally think that you're going to have to see some kind of some kind of change. Is it going to go back to nothing? I don't think so. Is it going to be stay as is? I don't think so. But you're going to probably see some kind of different change that will weed out the majority of those like you call them indentured servant situations, um, but then allow the people that are doing it in a healthy way and conducting business in a good way to maintain doing that. So I want to read, I want to read. Now, more supply chain issues caused by government. Yeah. 
I want to read two things from two opposite points of view. So one, this is from the representative for the Teamster unions. So the unions have been big advocates of this because, to be honest, I think they're probably likely the largest beneficiaries of oh, yeah. something like this happens. 100%. Because yep. you know, all these drivers are going to go and they need representation. They're going to pay union dues and they're going to grow, right? Um, yep. It says, so Doug Block, political director for Teamsters Joint Council 7, which represents the union in Northern California and Northern Nevada. Um, in places like ports, the state has found misclassification to be the norm. Drage drivers should now be looking at where I am going to end up working. Um, and then says... Um, that is our goal, to have owner-operators hired as drivers, Block said. Our goal is for the shipping industry to take responsibility for these drivers. If the workers are converted to employees, it will be easier for them to be paid an amount that reflects at least the minimum wage, and it would push the responsibility for buying new zero-emission vehicles on the companies rather than the drivers. We'll be asking fleet owners to do this, said Block. Now, here's my whole point, what you just said, right? You said unintended, unintended consequences. If that's really your goal because you don't want these drivers to have to incur this cost, guess what's going to happen? Don't force them to go work for somewhere they want. Just put the regulation in. And if the truck's too expensive, they are, you won't see more people going to be owner ops. They'll have to go work as employees. In yes. fact, this happens every single time the market shifts. They were talking about this on Freight Front a couple of weeks ago. In fact, we talked about it. What happens when the market shifts? When rates and spot rates go up, more guys leave fleets and become owner operators. When rates come down, more of them can't run the finances. They, they're too skinny. They don't have economies of scale. They don't have back offices and people working for lots of different jobs. So they go back and work for fleets again. There's yep. always a migration kind of back and forth based on my the you know environment, the, the shipping market. And if yep. that's really your worry, they're going to go work for those companies anyway. Because again, when they go to buy the truck, they're going to go, this doesn't make financial sense. Exactly. I'm going to go do it over here. You don't need to force somebody to go work there and then force the companies to do it. Like that's a bullshit argument from my point of view. I, I, I agree with you on that one. So I'm going to continue on reading from this article. It says motor carriers operating in California as of now with AB5 going into effect and the injunction lifted, they have to either reclassify thousands of drivers that are currently operating as independent contractors as employees or it says fundamentally change the way that the two parties interact. So you could, I mean, that, that's kind of a vague second one, but um, I'm going to well, continue on here. As full-time employees, trucking companies are obligated to do things like provide benefits and pay payroll tax for them. So think about that, that payroll tax expense. It's 15.3% is the total amount of employment tax. That's usually split in half, 7.65 to the employee out of your paycheck and 7.65 to your employer um, that they pay in employment tax. When you're an independent contractor, you pay the whole 13 point, what I know, 15.3%. 15 and change, right? yeah. So companies, if they have to then employ these drivers, they're going to incur immediately an additional over 7% in operating costs mm -hmm. without, without anything changing. So that's the main reason why companies don't like this, but why the Teamsters are advocating because they want their drivers to pay that much less. In, uh, in taxes and put that burden on the on the trucking company. So for that portion of the driver base, it is now much more expensive to use owner operators and affected drivers have much less flexibility in choosing their work. And in parentheses, it says many independent contractors work part-time under contract with a trucking company and part-time on their own. 
So, and that's mm-hmm. kind of where that flexibility has been nice for a lot of these folks is they can run their own business, but they can also lease on with a trucking company and, and do some work that way, almost like a side hustle. And that's, you know, that's going to be going away. So it says the way of life or this way of life will likely vanish in California under AB5. And, and that's, then it goes on to, lastly, it goes on to say that if California does that, they're the biggest state in the union, you have the likely impact of the domino effect, right? Other states that have similar views like this will then fall as the next state, or it could even happen federally at the federal level, depending on the administration and their views. So I want to give, I want to give the, so the up, and the other side of this, this is the pretty harsh statement. This is from Matt Schrapp. He's the CEO of Harbor Trucking Association. I know this guy. We've, I've been trying to get him on the show. We've had scheduling things, but I've been chatting with him for a few years. Um, it is extremely unfortunate that this court couldn't see their through their own political agenda to identify the obvious preemption that exists under F4A. This ruling will have far-reaching impacts that will upend the industry as we know it. Tens of thousands of truck drivers will be driven out of established business relationships within a week. No doubt this will further stress the supply chain. That's the biggest thing. Who pays for it then? The average American consumer. This is the part that (laughs) – this is the piece that really gets me because they ask Block this, the guy at the union's freight waves, you know, was asked – what would be the impact on freight movement in lanes away from ports? Specifically, an example in which an independent owner operator moves freight between Riverside County, right outside of LA, and Northern California. What might that person's legal status become? And, and the, the union guy goes, It's a good question, but came right back to the issue of ma- misclassification. I don't really care what sector of the trucking industry you're in, I would be concerned about misclassification. What we've seen is that every time the laws change, the industry will find some way to adapt. So knowing that they're creating an issue and just saying that like all of this is okay because oh, we need them to be out. Yeah, because we need to classify them correctly. And the reality is is a lot of these relationships, the drivers are choosing to be in the middle in the gray area because it's beneficial to them, right? Your instance where they're working with maybe a company for some dedicated freight, maybe two, three loads a week or whatever. And then the other days of the week, they want to work in the spot market because they want freedom. They want to be able to go to work or not go to work based on family or whatever else they want to do, right? Like they want the freedom of choice. And I feel like anytime we're moving away from that, we're probably not moving in the right direction. Yeah. Yeah. So um, lastly, I got a, there's a nice graph here too. I'm going to link this this uh, article from this is comes from Coyote, the brokerage from their website. It breaks down. So we you know we mentioned employee drivers and then those that own their own company and then the middle is where it's kind of murky and they even broke it down more. So they said in the middle there you're le- you have the least on owner operators, but they broke them down into two different categories: the exclusive and the non-exclusive. And it said the exclusive one is the primary focus of AB5, but -hmm. it's the non-exclusive that are getting impacted by it, right? Yep. So, and to explain what that means, so if you're, if you're, I mean, we know what exclusive and non-exclusive mean, but let's, let's just cover it anyway. So if you're an exclusive leased on owner operator, you may or may not have your own equipment um, and you don't, but you don't have your own authority. So you enter into an exclusive lease agreement with a carrier to have that company's authority conferred on them. So you can run under a, other company's authority, um, you can choose your own loads. Uh, lease the lease agreement keeps you from using their equipment on the open market, so you have to use their equipment only for their loads. Mm-hmm. So, and I I can understand 
why they would target this group. Now, the non-exclusive owner-operators who both own their own equipment and have their own operating authority. So they are primarily hauling for a motor carrier as an independent contractor with whom they have an agreement, but they can also operate on their own. Those are the ones that they're getting caught up in this, and it's that's the unintended consequence. So... Yeah, that's a good. That's a pretty good um, breakdown on it, and they have a nice visual that kind of shows where it is. Um, but yeah, I feel like that seems like an obvious solution for this, right? Why not just make it applicable to exclusive lease on so drivers? That's and that is where exclusivity in itself is the employer dictating Control. some sort of work that you do, and I think yeah. that would be grounds for an employee thing. That that is why with and this has been they, highly they debated. They fail A, right? Like to your point, you don't even yeah. need B. They don't make it past A because they have no ability. They have all control over the equipment and what loads they take. Like they're already falling under this. You don't even need the B prong. Yep, exactly. So we've seen this in the agent world too, where there's been debate over should an agent have to be exclusive to one brokerage? And it makes it makes business sense to say, hey, we, we want you to bring all your business to us. We don't want you brokering for two different companies. Um, but when you do that, you do run the risk of saying, well, we're kind of treating you like an employee saying you can't go work for another, you know, another company, even though you're independent. Um, Wait, so, let me ask you yeah. something. Yeah. Go back a second. How do gig workers violate A or B? I mean, how does a Lyft driver walk me through that? I feel like I'm, I'm losing myself in this. Let Where let does, how does it, which, which of the tests does a gig driver fail? Because- Uber itself doesn't have cars. The work performed is outside the usual course of the hiring entity's business. Because they're free to control. They're they're free from the control. They pick whatever loads they want. What's that? Yeah, they can pick whatever passengers they want to pick up. They can decide when they want to work. They can decide, you know, they're not forced to go pick up certain people. And they can work for both. They can work for Lyft and Uber. They're not exclusive. But it's that, that B is so broad. It just says the work performed is outside the usual course of the hiring entity's business. So how can you drive for Lyft or Uber and have your work considered outside of the normal course of business, which is passenger transportation? Because I don't, because I feel like Lyft and Uber operate just like a freight broker. Like they don't own trucks. They don't pick up anybody. They don't drive a car. They don't have any employees that do that work. Their business is connecting riders with drivers. They're not in the business of driving people. So if you look at a different kind of contractor that, meets this criteria very clearly look at a um a general contractor for for a house building a house right the general contractor has one job but they can they can 1099 contract a plumber to do something that they don't do themselves and they are totally fine they will clearly pass every single one of these a b and c things so and note that is where california says yeah contractors are they're they're fine in that they can pick whatever jobs they want to bid on do them and you know they're a plumber they're not a they're not a um, a general contractor, um, and they have their own established trade, which is plumbing. So work, it's messy and squirmy is the trucking or the transportation sector here. So I'd love to, t- I'm going to be curious. I want to talk to an attorney. I really want to, f- I want to understand how that the gig drivers even fall under that. Cause it still doesn't make any sense to me. I feel like that operate. I feel like Lyft and Uber operate exactly like a freight broker, where instead of them getting a load tender, they're getting the passenger details and where they've got to pick them up and deliver them. They're not in the business of finding passengers. No driver knows where to find it. It's not like they can operate like a cab. You can't just pull up on the side of the road in front of a, an airport and pick somebody up in a lift. You've got to wait for them to tell you or pick from there, right? So you're 
completely different services, I feel like. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, we've said it a bunch of times and I'll say it again. We're definitely not lawyers. <laughs> so I'd be, I would be really yeah. curious to, to run that by someone though. So lastly, I want to hit on what can trucking companies do about AB5? It's, it gives four options here. <laughs> Number one, cease doing business in California. And <laughs> honestly, that is probably one of the easiest ways to, to get around this is go live and work somewhere, somewhere else. And, mm-hmm. you know, but does everyone want to do that? Not necessarily. Number two is to, to shift to the employee-employer model, which is what the goal is for AB5. And then you've got number three is separate brokerage from carrier business. That would mean creating two distinct businesses, one which employs drivers directly and one which serves as a brokerage for independent contractors with with their authority to set their own rates and accept work elsewhere. That's actually, and don't use that word brokerage and think that it's freight brokerage. It's talking about they're the, they're acting as a middleman. Um, You know, one part of their business would be, you know, hey, we've got company drivers, but the other part of our business is we have a, uh, you know, we're an intermediary between the the need we have and the independent drivers out there that want to work for us. And that's your non-exclusive thing there, I guess. And then lastly is to pers- pursue an exemption. Um, but either way, you're asking, you're asking companies to change how they model their, their organization. You're asking drivers to move or get their own authority or don't pick up any freight that's going outbound from California. Cause you can, you can deliver in California and you're totally fine. You can't pick up, up or, in California. Yep. You're, that, you're being hired to do something in California. That's the, that's kind of another goofy thing here. So it, the whole thing's messy, man. I think we've, we've hit it. We've uh, beat the dead horse. Something's got to give, something's got to change. So what do you think is going to happen? To be honest, I, I mean, I have no clue. Um, I don't – I think it really depends on how much this is actually affecting. I mean, you're seeing a lot of – again, news articles are written to get people – That's your immediate impact. Yeah, like news articles are written to get people to click on them and read them. So again, like hyperbole, getting people really upset is what they do to get people to read them. I mean, even the ones I read this morning, it said – Four to five hundred protesters, and then I read another article. It said, "Yeah, there's really about a hundred to one hundred and twenty here." Um, and then you read another one. It's like five hundred to six hundred. You're like, I mean, how many people is it really affecting? How many people aren't able to do to change? And like, really, what that impact's going to be? I think is going to dictate it, and how close it's going to be to you know what Matt's at the Matt over at uh, Harbor Trucking Association. If he's <laughs> closer to what's happening, or what's happening is closer to what the unions think is going to happen. And I mean. I don't know. I, I, I genuinely don't know. I mean, can you imagine if this would have happened, though, during the pandemic? It would have made an already <laughs> ridiculous situation even yeah. more of a disaster. Well, so that makes me wonder, is the timing of this realistic because things have settled the last five to six months? It's got to uh, be, right? Yeah. I, 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 I wouldn't. There's no coincidence in that. So, yeah, I, I mean, it couldn't have. And, the, and to be honest, like. You want more flexibility in your supply chain. You don't want less. You don't want a rigid supply chain. You want one that has the ability to move resources where they're needed as quickly as yes. possible. That's why yeah. we exist as an industry in the first place. And every time you make that harder for us to access capacity, i.e., and think about it, if I can get an owner op 
a lot of the things that I've been able to solve personally, right, just as a broker are because of this. Like, for instance, when the ELDs happened, I remember like Maersk was my customer at that time, right? And nobody could get a truck at all for the first, I'd say, three, four months after the ELDs went into business in December. I was able to move hundreds of their loads per month exclusively through owner ops. And I'll never forget, I went back and flew out there to meet them like at the end of that year and they went, they were, we were just having dinner and they were like, dude, honestly, like, what did you do? Because we have every truck onboarded with us. We tried doing everything and we couldn't get anyone to pick up these containers. How were you able to find capacity? And this is how I found it. It was calling owner ops, finding guys that had some free time when they were done with their work with our company, they'd pick up an extra load for me. They got done early in their week. So they had a Friday, they'd pick up a couple extra loads. That's where you find this capacity that's on the fringe when you have things that happen in the market like that. And they do, yep. they happen constantly. I just don't know what, again, I get that they don't want people in a situation where they're being taken advantage of and all of the risks are pushed off on the individual instead of the company. But again, this is a pretty drastic solution to, I think, a problem that wasn't maybe nearly as big as the solutions causing. Yep. I, I Yeah, I agree with you 100%. So. All right, we got uh, we got two good questions here from th- these came in through our website this week. But first, I want to give a shout out to our friends over at Lean Solutions Group. Lean Solutions Group is the industry leader in nearshore staffing solutions, with many offices in South America, including freight broker back office operations, accounting, technology development, business development, marketing, customer service, and many other positions. To learn more about the vast solutions that Lean has to offer your freight brokerage or agency, visit www.leangroup.com. I want to add in there, I mentioned agency because a lot of folks are wondering, how do I hire somebody if I'm, if I'm an agent and I'm trying to get bodies? Um, Lean's a good, op- that's a good option for you. You've got folks that are already trained up in, in freight brokerage and you can plug them in, show them your TMS and show them the ropes on what you want them to do. So good stuff. All right. These uh, two questions here. Um, I'm going to, ha- I'm going to have to, I'm going to need some help on this first one, Ben, cause I'm not sure I totally understand what they were asking, but we're going to work through it. So what is the best way to enter a customer into my CRM when there's more than one pay to party? Do you remember this one coming through? I, could, I do. I tried to ask for clarification on it. Um, I've had, I've had a client ask me this in the past week and a half too. Um, so what are they specifically basis. asking? So the question I was asked, and I'm assuming this is the same one, is let's say you have, and by the way, if it's a customer, they really shouldn't be in your CRM. They should be in your TMS because they're yes. doing business with you. So yep. the, that's the first thing I'd point out. The second thing I'd point out, the way it was asked was, and again, this is probably the same lines, is when you've got a customer that has multiple locations and multiple billing within the same company name. Oh, so, okay, okay. So I gotcha. like you've got a... Um, Well, shit, I'll just use a big shipping line like CMA CGM, which is one of the larger shipping lines, right? The containers, right? Like they have multiple companies that operate kind of underneath that same company umbrella. We're like one point of contact will tender loads for APL, which is American President's line, I think. They tender loads for CMA CGM Canada, different billing, different thing, and CMA CGM America. So you have three different people you could be invoicing within one company you're working with. There's like three underneath it. So I'll tell you how I've done it, and I, I recommend this way. When, you, when you're running credit on a customer like this, it is smart to look at the parent company. That'll give you a snapshot of the entire organization as a whole, but you should, I would recommend setting them up. If you're, if you're 
TMS does not allow you to have a master company, like a parent company and sub companies, which they don't all do that, then I'd build each and every single one of them separately. Because if you have a billing issue with one branch, it's likely that your point of contact for payables at that branch is not the same yes. as the headquarters or another branch or whatever. So you want to make them different. It would, do you see any other reason to not do that? No, I, I do I, this. I want to add, some TMSs, you can have a parent company and then subsidiaries. I have seen that before too. Yes. And now here's, I'm going to go a little bit further into this too. So one, if you have this and you aren't operating with the other companies, like that's the first thing you should be prospecting. It is way easier to light up a new customer when you're already working in their organization or under the umbrella. Um, So absolutely. If you have any of these, the first thing you should be doing, if you haven't done this is this week, look at all of your customers and look if they have other locations. Look if they have other entities they're associated yeah, other, with. Like other divisions, right? Other divisions, other places that tender freight. Ask your customer these questions. You would be astounded at how much opportunity there is behind some customers that we just aren't aware of because we didn't ask that question. Yep. Um, the next thing is how, and this also came up, which is how do you manage this when you are running an agency or you are also running a W-2, right? So like, Okay, let's say I have one of them as my customer. Is everyone else allowed to prospect the rest of them? How do you do you protect them? Does that mean it's mine? Does that mean another agent can call them? Does that mean a W two can call them? Yeah, I don't know. I don't think there's a, a right or wrong answer here. It's going to be depending on what that company decides. Because I've seen brokerages that if if I'm working with one branch, I could be potentially prospecting other branches. So I would want the whole company protected, but you got to draw the line somewhere and that's your decision as a company owner or policymaker in a, in a brokerage. But if you're working a, a handful of branches from a company that has 200 branches, you're likely as an agent, not going to be able to handle all 200 branches and you've got to draw the line somewhere. Um, so, but let's say they have 20 branches. You could prospect 20 branches for an organization. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, you have to just decide. Um, I whenever, whenever we see any sort of customer protection or overlap between agents, we treat every single situation as its own independent situation, and we look at it. Um, we don't have any wording in our contract that basically gr- just blatantly grants somebody the ability to do whatever they want because it says it in the contract. We leave that open ended for that reason. Because there's been more times than not, we've been able to work out a situation that's a win-win for both agents. Um, but we've also had times where we knew it, it didn't make sense for us to let an agent come in and, and touch another branch because we knew where that first agent was going with their business. They That was already in their sights. They just hadn't gotten there yet. And we didn't want to basically slap them in the face with a leather glove because somebody else who we, you know, who had no history with them wants to come in and just take it. So you have to handle them all. You had to treat them all separately. And and you're right, because there's okay. there's an there there. The interest is not aligned, right? Like the companies, what's in the company's best interest and what's in the agent or the broker's best interest don't always align. Right. right. The company wants everybody to be prospecting everybody as quickly as possible so they can bring in the dollars quicker. Right. Yep. Now, from the employee's point of view or the agent's point of view, it's like, well, 
I don't have the bandwidth. Maybe I'm running 40 loads a week. I only have two assistants. I need three assistants for me to be able to get to the next branch and to light them up. Maybe I can't hire them quick enough. Maybe my company won't let me hire them quick enough. Maybe they won't provide me the resources to scale up fast enough to be able to work with them that quickly, right? And that's where there's a give and take. And I think to your point, from an individual case basis is the best way to evaluate this. The bigger companies have like entire departments that just do this all day long, that are just dealing with prospecting disputes, um, prospects that are on hold, the timeframes at which you need to make progress on. And there's a group that evaluates and votes on in some, in some cases. So. Yep. Good stuff. Um, all right. Last question. Can I add trucks to my brokerage MC authority? There was more detail to it. I think she said, she had she has a brokerage authority and she was wanting to know if someone could come bring their truck on under her authority and the like the I'll break it down you can't you can't operate a truck under a brokerage authority you can operate a truck under an asset authority um, or a carrier authority I should say so you can have an MC number can have both authorities so that I mean they're Possibly, yes, if you get the right stuff in place. But if it's just a brokerage authority, you can't just start hiring drivers and become a trucking company too. Can you can you switch it? Can you become a dual authority from brokerage? Um, I believe you could. Most people don't do it that way though because of the exposure right. that it looks it, – it, it would appear from a from like a risk standpoint for insurance. They keep them as separate. Um But I mean, you go through the application process the same way that you have to renew something. You go through everything online with the FMCSA's website. I've actually, I've never looked and tried to do that um, because most people don't. They just get a separate authority. And And here's the main reason, because this came up too a few times this week with a few clients and people reached out to us is one of the main reasons why you don't see brokerages buy one truck or one asset so that they can call themselves an asset company is because the insurance industry then makes you insure your brokered loads as if you were an asset company and the cost gets astronomical. Yeah. And and also if they're looking to insure, so they want to see your total basically your total revenue, right? And you, then you're looping in your your truck, your, your one truck's revenue now includes all of the brokerage revenue. Yes. So your truck might do, yeah, you know, a couple hundred thousand dollars maybe in revenue all year, but your so brokerage yeah, does if you a million. To, if you're going to add, um, you know, let's say cargo insurance for a trucking company that only has one truck, but your company does $50 million a year. Yes. It's, it's a big, it's big insurance. That's a lot more. A lot yeah. more risk. So same with general liability and, you know, you name the rest of the policy. So, but yeah, um, do them separate. You can't have drivers if you don't have a carrier authority. So mm-hmm. good stuff. Good conversation. Good. Uh, we're going to keep everyone posted on AB5. We'll, we'll include a bunch of links in the show notes too for the various articles that we referenced today. I know, Ben, you had a couple. I had a couple and we'll get them up there. So what uh, what else we got going on? Nothing off the top of my head, actually. Did some coaching with TIA today. I know we got to get with DAT about doing the webinar coming up. Um, I don't know. Outside of that, man, what else? What else we got on the agenda? Anything else you can think of? Um, we got some new videos that are in the docket for this month. Um, we got did one on um, accessorials overall, and then one I broke down tonus in pretty good detail with a bunch of examples. You'll see that coming out this month. Um, just let us know though. Keep, keep us, 
keep sending questions, give us topics, suggestions and whatnot for the show. And um, yeah, we got to get a lawyer on though. I definitely want to get an attorney on. I want, I want to talk. I want to talk a bunch of stuff with an attorney, but yeah, the AV five thing would be interesting. So well, good stuff. Any, uh, any closing thoughts? Whether you believe you can or believe you can't, you're right. And until next time, go Bills. That wraps up this episode of Freight 360. Check out the show notes for links to anything that we've referenced on this episode. And make sure to visit us online at Freight360.net to see our entire library of episodes, videos, blogs, and more. And make sure to check us out on Facebook and subscribe to our YouTube channel for daily and weekly tips and content. If you'd like your question answered on the show, fill out the Contact Us form on our site and we'll see you next week.